God, thanks a lot for this morning. Thanks for the opportunity to come out in the middle of your creation. Uh, and even better than that, we're out in the middle of a racetrack. And uh, we're happy to be here. And we're thankful that you put this love in our hearts. Draw our attention to yourself now as uh, I open your word. And be with, uh, be with families as we've recently learned the loss of, uh, of Nathan Edwards last night, uh, a young man who, who was taken on a street bike accident. Be with his family and be with the family of Sandra, who uh, we prayed for a couple weeks ago. Just continue to grant peace and comfort. And Lord, be with us this morning to give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, and uh, draw our hearts closer to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, well, good morning. My name is Chuck Lee Master with Team Faith. And uh, as always, it's a pleasure to be here with you and do this thing that we call Racetrack Church. It's always a little bit different than a normal church. We have uh, lots of things going around us, but I appreciate you coming here. And, uh, and I, I have been praying for you that God would continue to draw your hearts closer to Him because He has great plans for every single one of us uh, that are gathered under this tent today. I learned something interesting this week that if I Google my name, and maybe you should try that with yourself, you'll find all kinds of interesting things about yourself. But if I Google my name, there are some videos that come up that I did with Off-Road Viking a couple years ago. Offroadviking.com is run by a guy named Daniel Engel, and he approached me a couple years ago, and he said, hey, I want to do a thing called Team Faith Tuesday or Team Faith Thursday. I forget what it was, but he said, just a series of two-minute videos where you can say whatever you want. And I said, well, good, man. I love to talk about Jesus and talk about what things that God's doing in my life and things that he wants to do in your life. So um, I'd be honored to do that. Uh, and so we did a series of two-minute videos and uh, if you Google my name, those things come up. And I've been trying to get with Daniel. He's been busy. I've been busy. But it's been on my heart to do a mini-series called um, Debunking the Christian Myths. Uh, and there are so many things that I hear thrown around as I go from place to place all over the United States, things that people will say that sound really good but make absolutely no sense. For example, follow your heart. I love that one. You should always follow your heart. There's even a song out there on the country music charts about following your heart. You should follow your heart. No. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. It is deceitful above all else. Don't follow your heart. Your heart will lead you into adultery if you follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. There's another myth that goes around that uh, um, God will never give you more than you can handle. You know, I must be really strong. God must think that I'm really strong because he sure has laid it on me pretty thick this week. God will never give you more than you can handle, so I guess I'm tougher than I think I am. <laughs> no, the fact is God will always allow you to be in a situation that's bigger than yourself. If you look at uh, the Israelites as they were coming out of Egypt, out of slavery, they come to the Red Sea, certain death in front of them, the army marched behind them, certain death behind them, and then God has them in a place that's impossible, and he parts the Red Sea and makes a way for them. God will always allow you to be in a place that's bigger than you can handle, so he can show you just how big he is. So I love that. There's another one, though, that's probably going to take longer than two minutes to debunk. So we're going to look at it today. And that is, everything happens for a reason. I hear that so often. Something bad will happen. You know, somebody gets run over by a Mack truck. And, well, everything happens for a reason. And that's supposed to make us feel better. Because there's, there's a reason. We can't really place our hand on it, what exactly it is. But, hey, everything happens for a reason. So I'm just going to go along, go with the flow. And it sounds good at the outset. Because it sounds like it takes faith to say, everything happens for a reason. And so I'm going to submit myself to whatever that reason is. Even though I don't know what it is, I'm going to submit myself to that reason. And I'm going to look for meaning in this circumstance. The problem is... Bad things happen, and sometimes there is no reason for it. Matter of fact, I'm reminded of the movie Forrest Gump. 
Uh, this movie came out in the mid 90s, about 94, I think, if I, if I remember correctly, and it starred Tom Hanks. Everybody here has at least seen clips of the movie Forrest Gump. You remember the part where he was a kid and he had those braces on his legs and, and he starts running away from the bullies and, and his girlfriend calls out, run, Forrest, run! And he's running, the braces fall off, it's really cool. And then later in life, Forrest Gump, he, just, he runs out of the driveway and he just keeps on running. He doesn't even know why he's running, he just keeps on running. And he's running across America and his hair is growing long and he's growing a beard and, and he becomes this sensation. And people start following him. They quit their jobs or whatever their lives are and they start running with Forrest Gump. And this guy comes running up uh, next to him and he's like, hey Forrest, you've been an inspiration to so many people and I'm in the bumper sticker business and I'm out of inspiration. I'm, not, I'm out of ideas. And whoa, you just stepped in a big pile of dog stuff. <laughs> and Forrest is like, it happens. Keeps on running along. And the guy says, what happens? Scheist? It's like, yeah, sometimes. And then Forrest Gump in the voiceover, he says, I heard that later on that man did come up with a bumper sticker and he did make a lot of money. And of course the bumper sticker is Shiznit Happens. All right, and that's the title of today, Shiznit Happens, you know? Sometimes we're looking for meaning and everything, but, but the, the, the theologically correct statement, and theological is just a big fancy word that I can't spell, so I shouldn't use the word, but theologically correct simply means that according to the Bible, Shiznit Happens. All right, that's that's the way that it goes. Now, as as we as we get into today, I want to take you and give you a broad picture. Why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? It all started in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. This is the beginning of Genesis. God created things, and every time that He created something, He said it was good. So then He created Adam and He created Eve and He put them in this Garden of Eden, and everything was perfect. I mean, it doesn't get more perfect than running around naked and eating fruit, right? So everything's perfect. Perfect world out there. And, uh, and God gives them free will. That's one thing that we as human beings, we have. We have free will. God said, I love you. I have created you specifically. You're in my image. Everything's perfect around here, but you have free will. You can choose to love me. You can choose to disobey me. And, of course, what did Adam and Eve do? They did the same thing that every single one of us has done with our free will, and they turned their backs on God. God said, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then... Satan comes along and says, oh, God's holding out on you. And Adam and Eve, they eat of that tree that God said do not eat. Of their free will, they turn their backs on God. And because of that, death entered the world. Sin entered the world. And because of sin, death entered the world. Part of the curse of sin is that weeds are growing. There's pain in childbearing. And all of a sudden, God is no longer in ultimate control because sin has entered the world. And because of sin, bad things happen to good people. Because of sin... Other people's mistakes are going to affect us. Other people's hatred is going to affect us. And sometimes a tree is just going to jump out in front of us and break our arm or our leg, and just bad things are going to happen to good people. Of course, none of us are truly good, but nonetheless, bad things are just going to happen. And it's just going to be a thing that bad things happen. Now, how does this work into, how does this work, really work into the whole story of the picture of God? Last week, we looked at a guy named Jacob. Jacob was a schemer and a manipulator. And, we, and the whole point of last week was that don't try to manipulate your life. Don't try to manipulate your circumstances to bring about God's perfect will in your life because God already has a plan in your life. And the harder we try to manipulate our circumstances to our benefit, the more we miss God's blessing in our life. And I mentioned a couple people that said, you know, it seems that there are a couple people in the Bible that didn't manipulate their circumstances, but they lived into God's purpose for their life. And one of them was Daniel and one, the other one was Joseph. These guys didn't have it easy. Both of them were taken captive. Both of them were taken to a distant land far, far away. Both of them were made slaves. They didn't have it easy. And yet, as we read their stories and as we learn about their lives, they didn't seem to 
they didn't seem to buck up against God and try to manipulate circumstances. They seemed to live into God's purpose for their life. And as we looked at Jacob, we saw that God came specifically and said, the older brother Esau is going to serve the younger brother Jacob. And then Jacob spent all of his life manipulating his life in order to bring that about when he didn't really have to because God had already said it and God's true to what he says he's going to do. And so, uh, but for you and me today, we say, all right, so Jacob knew what his purpose in life was. He knew that God had a plan and a purpose. How can I know what God's purpose is in my life? So we're going to look at that just a little bit today as we look at the story of Joseph. Joseph was Jacob's 11th son. If you remember the story last week, Jacob, uh, Jacob had uh, frauded, defrauded his brother Esau for the birthright, and uh, he had to run for his life. Esau was going to kill him. And so he goes to, to his, his ancient homeland, and he goes to his uncle Laban and says, Hey, Laban, I need to seek shelter here. Laban says, Great, you can work for me, but we should work out some sort of terms for you. And Jacob says, Well, your daughter Rachel, she's really hot. I'd like to have her as my wife. I'll tell you what, I'll work for seven years. You give her as my wife. Laban says, No problem. Seven years go by. They have a wedding ceremony. The bride comes out all dressed in white, has a big veil across her face. Nighttime comes. Jacob takes her into his tent, consummates the marriage, wakes up in the morning, and it's coyote ugly situation. Hey, I got the wrong one. Laban, what have you done to me here? I got the homely sister. This is Leah, not Rachel. And Laban's like, oh, yeah, you know, we don't do things like that around this, this place. You got to marry the older sister first and then get the younger sister. And Jacob's like, all right, I'll work for you another seven years. You give me Rachel right now. Now I'm going to take a sidetrack here. Because sometimes when I'm sitting where you're sitting and a preacher like me says something that I don't understand, I'll spend the rest of the sermon wondering about that one thing. And so one thing that a preacher has never taken, taken on and explained to me is why was it okay for a man to have multiple wives in the Old Testament? Why was it okay? I mean, today, a man takes one woman and he's stuck with her the rest of his life. But back then, a man could have multiple wives and it seemed like it was okay. What's up with that? Well, here's the deal. There's no 11th commandment that says thou shalt not have multiple wives. <laughs> Matter of fact, there are six, there's 10 big ones, 10 big commandments, and then there's 603 supplemental laws, and not one of them says you can't take a second wife or a third wife or a 10th or 12th, 100th wife. And, and so all through the Old Testament, we see examples of men taking on multiple wives, but every single time we see it, we see dysfunction and we see lots of problems. Even in Jacob's life here, with uh, Rachel and Leah, and he ended up taking on two more wives as the story unfolds, there's just so much dysfunction, and we're going to look at that. Abraham, his, his grandfather, had multiple wives, and what did that lead to? He had Sarah, and then Sarah said, hey, I'm barren, so why don't you take Hagar as your wife? Takes Hagar, and then there's huge dysfunction, and, and there's the Ishmaelites, and then there's the Hebrews, and they're always at war, even to this day, still at war, dysfunction. David, a man after God's own heart takes multiple wives, and it caused a civil war. He almost lost, it ri almost ripped the whole country in, into two because of a civil war. Only by God's grace did the nation of Israel survive through that. Every time you see multiple wives, there's problems. And then God revealed himself to us in the form of a human being, Jesus Christ, sent his very son to this earth, not only to pay the penalty for our sin, to live that perfect life and pay the ultimate price for our sin, but also to show us the way, to show us the kingdom of God, and to set a few things straight. And one of those things that he set straight, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two become one. And that is exactly what we stand on today. A man and a woman, they become one in marriage. They become one union, one together. So yes, polygamy... It was tolerated in the Old Testament. It's, it's, not the, it's not the greatest way to do it, but that's where we're at in the story today. Jacob has a, he has a favorite wife, and that is Rachel. 
and uh, he has a son named Joseph with Rachel. And here's what, uh, here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 37. It says, Joseph, being that, being that son that we're talking about, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers, the son, sons of Bilhah and Zilpha, his father's other wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Joseph, being the favorite son, was a tattletale. Now, isn't that just what a teacher's pet always does? Always tattles, always has, you know, always wants to prove themselves, and that's exactly the picture of Joseph here. He's the favorite son. He tattles on his brothers. They're always causing trouble out in the fields. Now, Israel, because God had changed Jacob's name to Israel, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Dysfunction. Because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all, then, all of them, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. You think? I mean, any time that there's a dysfunction like that, it's just going to cause problems, big problems. Matter of fact, as the story goes on, Jacob, the, uh, the, the favorite son, seems like he was always bringing a bad report and causing lots of problems. Now, we asked the question earlier. I said Jacob. I mean Joseph, the favorite son, always causing problems. I asked the question earlier, how can we know what God's purpose is in our life? And here we see from a bad example uh, of what one of God's purposes is, and that is your family. Your family, if you, if you have a family, and we all have a family, we're either a son, a daughter, a, a husband, a wife, um, something along, a, a father, a mother, that's God's purpose. Because as you read that story of Genesis, God created Adam, and then he created Eve, and he put them together to be the two become one. If you're married, that's your highest purpose in life. I believe that with all my heart. If you have children, that's your next highest purpose. And as we live intentionally into our families, God starts to reveal His greater plan. But until we're faithful with what we know in black and white, we're not going to be able to continue beyond that point. So our family is by far our greatest priority in this life. As we look at this dysfunctional family who's not really living into God's purpose for their life, they know that they're a special family. God had come to the great-grandfather Abraham and said, I'm going to do something special to you through your family, through your descendants. These guys just out there living life, trying to get the most that they can out of their situation. They got this, uh, they got this younger brother, Joseph, who's a brat. <laughs> they don't like him at all. And, uh, and rightfully so. But Joseph has a dream one day and he relates it to his brothers. He says, hey guys, guess what? I dreamed this last night. We were out in the fields gathering wheat. We were putting this, the wheat into bundles and the ten of your bundles of wheat all gathered around my bundle of wheat and they bowed down to it. Isn't that cool? And his brother's like, no, that's not cool. You're an idiot. What are you trying to say? That we're going to bow down to you someday? Joseph, he didn't get the hint. He had another dream the next night and he says, hey guys, guess, guess, guess what? I had a dream last night that the sun and the moon and 11 stars all bowed down to me. And this time Jacob had to step in and say, Hey, son, you know, if that's the dream that you had, it's probably one of those things you need to keep to yourself because it's really inciting a lot of jealousy here. The story continues that, uh, that this really brought uh, not only the colored robe, but now the dreams really uh, put Joseph in a bad light with his brothers. They go out and they're pasturing the sheep out in a, uh, out in a distant town. And Jacob comes to Joseph and says, Hey, why don't you take uh, some food out to your brothers? Why don't you go out there, find your brothers, see what they're up to, and bring me a report. You know, go tattle on them some more. Go see what they're up to. And so as Joseph goes out in the fields, he finally finds his brothers. They see him coming from afar off, and they say, Hey, here comes that dreamer. Now's our chance. Let's get rid of him. They said, Let's kill him. Reuben, the oldest brother, steps in and says, Oh, let's not kill him just yet. Let's think this through. While we're thinking this through, throw him in that pit right there, that, that well that's all dried up and doesn't have any water in it. Throw him in that pit, and then we'll think about it and figure out something to do. Meanwhile, Reuben left to go take care of some other business. While he was gone, the Bible says he intended to come back and rescue Joseph, but while he was gone, Jacob, or um, <laughs> Judah, 
another J word. Judah said, hey, let's not kill him. Let's sell him to that caravan of gypsies over there. I see that caravan. They're headed over to Egypt. Uh, let's sell Joseph as a slave because if we kill him, we don't get anything out of it. If we sell him as a slave, we at least get lunch money. And the Bible says they sold him to the caravan of gypsies, the Ishmaelites, uh, for 20 shekels of silver. And we're not really sure what 20 shekels of silver relates to in modern currency. Our best guess is about 200 bucks. Split 10 ways, you know, Big Mac and, and fries at McDonald's. About all it comes out to. The Bible says later in the story of Joseph, says that the, the brothers remembered and were basically haunted by the screams and the pleadings of Joseph as he, as he was pulled out of that pit and sold to a foreign, a foreign country as a slave. If you can imagine that, I don't see how everything happens for a reason. Because that's some shiznit right there. That's a bad situation. And Joseph, uh, as the story continues, Joseph goes into the land of Egypt. He's now a slave. He's no hope of ever getting home. No hope of ever seeing his family again. No hope of seeing his father, his mother, his brothers. Everything is lost for Joseph. And this would be a great time to say, well, everything happens for a reason, and I guess I'll just be down and out about this. But Joseph, what we, what we read about Joseph next is actually pretty amazing. Genesis 39.1, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So basically, Joseph gets sold as a slave to a high-ranking political officer in the land of Egypt. This guy named Potiphar. Is, is, a, is a military advisor, a military official in the land of Egypt. Very important guy. The story continues that as he was brought into Potiphar's house, Joseph put his hand, everything that he did, he did his very best, which is a lesson for us today. If you're in a shiznitty situation, you should still be putting forth your very best because God blessed Joseph's efforts. God's hand was on Joseph. God allowed everything that Joseph did to turn about and be a good thing. And Potiphar saw this, that Joseph was very successful in everything that he did. And so Potiphar assigned everything to Joseph. Joseph became the most important slave, most important person, actually, in Potiphar's house. The Bible says Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything except what to eat. What do I want to eat? That's all he had to worry about. Joseph was doing such a good job. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. All right, he's a good-looking guy with a good body. And after a time, his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, Lie with me. I wonder what that means. Potiphar's wife had a thing for Joseph, and she kept trying to seduce him. Now, in the context of everything happens for a reason, here's how this would play out. If everything happens for a reason, all right, I was in a really, I was at home, and then I was in a really bad situation, put in a pit, but everything happens for a reason. I was sold as a slave, that's really bad, but everything happens for a reason. And then I was brought into to Egypt, and I was sold as a slave to this actually pretty good guy who's been treating me pretty good. So everything happens for a reason. I was hated over here. Over here, I'm pretty well respected. I actually have a lot of responsibility. My life is actually better over here than it was over there. I think everything happens for a reason. And because it was a sinful situation that brought me into this, I think God's trying to tell me something. There's this beautiful woman coming into me. I think God's trying to reward me for my faithfulness. I think that God really likes me. Everything happens for a reason. God just wants me to be happy. This is great. Except that's not what happened because not everything happens for a reason. And that's not what Joseph's life was focused on. Joseph focused on the next right thing. You know what Joseph did? He told her, he said this, Behold, my master has put everything that he has in my charge. He has kept back nothing from me except for you, because you are his wife. How then do I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He says, I'm not having it. 
this wouldn't be the right thing. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do the next right thing, which is to get away from you. The amazing thing about Joseph is that there was no Bible when Joseph was around. There was no Torah, which is the first five books of the, uh, of the Old Testament. There was no Ten Commandments. There were no supplemental laws. God hadn't come to Moses and said, hey, here's the way that I want you guys to live. All Joseph had was stories from his great-grandfather Abraham that God is real, and he wants to do something through his family. That's about all I know. And Joseph says, okay, I believe that, and I'm going to live into that. You see, we talk about Joseph living into God's purpose for his life. He didn't know what God's purpose for his life was. He just said, I'm going to do the next right thing, and the next right thing is to say no to you. So the story goes that as, as Joseph was doing his duties one day, he came into the house to perform his tasks. The house was empty except for Potiphar's wife. There were no other servants in the house, and Potiphar's wife grabbed hold of him by the coat, and she was going to have her way. And Joseph said, no, you're not. And he shrugged himself out of his coat and he ran and he fled. Hell hath no fury as a woman scorned. And she screamed, she screamed rape. And uh, as the men came running into the house, she held Joseph's coat and she said, that Hebrew slave that my husband brought in here, he tried to rape me. And when I screamed out, he had to flee so fast he didn't have time to get his coat. And everybody believed her word over Joseph's. Potiphar comes home and says, you wicked slave, throws him back in prison. Everything happens for a reason, really? Here, Joseph did the right thing. He did the God-honoring thing. He gets thrown into prison. And things aren't very good. But however, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. So once again, Joseph's in a terrible situation. But instead of being down and out and bad, down on his luck and saying, oh, woe is me, he says, all right, here's where I'm at. I'm going to do the best that I can. And God honored his efforts to do the next right thing, which was to do the best he could with what he had. As you read this story, you see that God's hand is all over it. And we're tempted to say, well, everything does happen for a reason. But you see, there's one thing. James, in the New Testament, the brother of Jesus, writes a book called James, and in it he says that God cannot do evil, God cannot do sin, and neither does he cause anybody else to sin. You see, God didn't cause the hatred of Joseph's brothers. No, that actually spawned from the manipulation of their father Jacob, who was constantly trying to manipulate his life to make his life the best that it could be, and it ended up spurning Joseph to his brothers, causing hatred. God wasn't a part of that. You see, God's not, God's not a God of hatred, he's a God of love. God the whole time is trying to get a hold of Jacob and say, hey man, if you'll just do things my way, things can really go a lot easier in your life. Matter of fact, if you do things my way, you can speak love and peace into your kids and your family can flourish. But Jacob constantly refused it. God didn't cause that lust in Potiphar's life. That's straight from the enemy. Because God doesn't sin, neither does he cause anybody else to sin. But we know where, we know where these things come from because every single one of us here, we have to fight against these things every single day, myself included. So if God doesn't cause these things, what's the real story? And the, the real story, this isn't the real story, but the picture that I have in mind is that of a chess match in heaven. There's Satan on one end of the board, there's God on the other end of the board. Satan, every time Satan makes a move, it never catches, it never catches God by surprise. And God says, oh, that's the move you're going to make. Well, I can deal with that one. Oh, that's the move you're going to make. Well, I can deal with that one too. The thing is, we looked at Samson last year, and if you hadn't heard the story of Samson, it's on iTunes. You can, you can look it up through a Google search. Look at the story of Samson. That was an unwilling chess uh, piece. <laughs> what do you do? What does God do when uh, not only does he have opposition from Satan, but then the chess piece itself doesn't want to cooperate? God's plan still survives. God's purposes still prevail. Yet the player 
doesn't get the blessing, doesn't get to live into the blessing of that. So here's Joseph. He's in prison, having a bad day. It seems like bad thing after bad thing happens to Joseph's life. And yet, instead of being down and out, he says, I'm going to do the next right thing. I barely know anything about this whole deal, but I'm going to do the next right thing. He'd been in prison for a little while, I think about two years, and two new prisoners were brought in. It was the chief baker and the cupbearer for Pharaoh. Now, a cupbearer was simply someone who uh, had to taste the wine before it was given to Pharaoh, because if there was any poison in the wine, it's better that the cupbearer die than to have Pharaoh die, because Pharaoh was like a deity. He was like a god. Also, the chief baker was the person that you know prepared all the food. Somehow, these guys did something to offend Pharaoh, and he throws them both into prison. While they're in prison, they've been in there for a while. Joseph is in charge of the prison. He says, hey, what's wrong with you guys? They said, well, man, we had a dream last night. Can't figure out what it means. Joseph says, well, I have a little experience with dreams. Um, why don't you tell me what it was? Maybe God will tell me what he's trying to tell you guys. And so the cupbearer says, hey, I had a dream last night that there were three vines, three grapevines. They sprouted out from the ground. And uh, as I watched, they had, they had leaves, they blossomed, and they produced fruit. I took the grapes, I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup to Pharaoh. And Joseph says, oh, that's an easy one. Three vines represent three days. In three days, Pharaoh's going to let you out of prison, and he's going to restore to you your position as cupbearer. And the baker says, oh, wow, that's really cool. I had a dream, too. You should tell me what my dream means. All right, well, let's hear it. He says, I had a dream last night that I was carrying three baskets on my head, and the birds of the air were coming and eating out of the, top, the food out of the top basket. And Joseph says, oh, well, I know the meaning of that dream, because the, the, the three baskets also represent three days. However, in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Not such a good outcome for the baker. In three days, that's exactly what happened. The cupbearer was let out of prison, restored to his former duties. The baker was killed and executed. As the cupbearer was leaving prison, Joseph pulls him aside and says, Hey man, remember me. When you get back to Pharaoh, remember me that I was good to you. Remember who I am because I'm down here, man, and I didn't do anything to get here. I'm actually innocent, and you know I am. So remember me when you get to Pharaoh. And the, the cupbearer's like, Yeah, 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 whatever, I'll, I'll get to you. Well, two years go by. And then Pharaoh himself has a bad dream. And nobody can tell him what the meaning of the dream was. And finally the cupbearer summons his courage and says, Hey, uh, Pharaoh, you remember that one time you got mad at me and threw me in prison? Yeah, that was really funny. Um, while I was there, I had a dream. And this guy named Joseph, he told me what the meaning of the dream was. Maybe he could help you out too. And so Pharaoh says, All right, we'll go get him. So they get Joseph out of prison. They clean him up. They shave him, cut his hair, give him some new clothes, bring him before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, I hear that you can tell the meaning of dreams. And Joseph says, Well, I can't tell the meaning of dreams, but I think that God can probably tell me what he's trying to tell you through your dream. So what was your dream? Pharaoh says, Well, I had a dream last night that there were seven fat cows that came up out of the Nile River. After the seven fat cows came out of the Nile River, seven skinny cows came out of the Nile River. The seven skinny cows ate the fat cows. And they didn't gain any weight. And it doesn't make any sense. Nobody can tell me what this means. And Joseph says, oh, I got this. I understand. God has given me the meaning of your dream. What's going to happen? God is telling you that he's about to give Egypt, the land of Egypt, seven years of plentiful crop. We're going to have bumper crops, record harvest. After the record harvest of seven years, we're going to have seven years of famine. So, king, pharaoh, whoever you are, if I were you... I would probably make some sort of a contingency plan during those seven good years for the seven bad years to follow. And Pharaoh says, you know what, Joseph, that's a great idea. You demand. I'm going to put you in charge of that. You are now the second most important man in all of Egypt. 
I'm giving you my signet ring. Anything you say, it goes. And as you read the story, you see that Joseph was actually a pretty shrewd businessman. He raised taxes. He built storehouses. He built barns. He put in lots and lots and lots of grain. He stored up the grain for the seven years of skinny. Sure enough, seven years of skinny came on. And the whole land of Egypt, not just the land of Egypt, but the whole known world was going through a famine. All the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain. Because Joseph had done... What, the, what he had suggested to Pharaoh, and he had set this thing up so they would be successful in the seven lean years, and he's selling the grain to, to the people of Egypt and the surrounding nations. All the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. When Jacob, now we're back to the story of Jacob, back in, back in the, the homeland, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? There is grain for sale in Egypt. Go and buy some that we may live and not die. And so the ten brothers get together and they go into Egypt. And uh, it had been about, I think, about 17 years since they'd last seen Joseph. Joseph was almost 40 years old by the time that the brothers get there. He was 17 when he was first introduced in the story. He'd been a slave in Egypt most of his life now. And, uh, and so when the brothers came into the land of Egypt, they come before Joseph because Joseph was administering every detail of this task. And he recognized his ten brothers. His ten brothers didn't recognize him. And so he thought, well, this is, uh, I wonder what's going on in the homeland. And so he, he gave them a hard time. He said, you guys are spies. Tell me about your story. And they're like, well, we're, we're ten brothers. We have a father back home. And we also have a youngest brother. His name's Benjamin. And he didn't come with us. He's like, oh, no, you guys are telling me lies. If you're really telling me the truth, go home and get your youngest brother and bring him here. I'm going to put Simeon in jail in the meantime. When you, bring, when you bring Benjamin back to me, I'll let this guy out. They're like, oh, man, we can't do that. Dad's not going to let Benjamin go. He already lost one son. He doesn't want to lose his other favorite son. Still the dysfunctional family. Well, they go back without minus Simeon. They tell their dad everything that happened. He's like, no way. You ain't taking Benjamin. Well, they run out of food. And, uh, and they're finally like, Dad, we got to go get food. And in order to get food, we have to take Benjamin. So Jacob's like, all right, but if anything happens to him, just know that that's going to bring me to my grave. They go back in front of Joseph. They still don't recognize him. They say, hey, this is our youngest brother, Benjamin. See, we weren't lying. And uh, Joseph's like, okay, I guess you guys aren't spies after all. And he says, uh, here's, here, you can buy more food. You can go on home. Uh, you know, Peace be with you. Everything's good. But he sets them up. He takes a golden cup, and he puts it in Benjamin's grain sack. And as they leave the city, as they're headed back home, he sends guards out after him, and, they, and the guards arrest the whole crew, the all, all 11 brothers, and says, why did you guys steal Joseph's cup that he tells the future with? And, and the brothers are like, we didn't steal any cup. Matter of fact, if any of us stole a cup from Joseph, you can kill that person. Like, all right, well, we're going to search your bags. Sure enough, they find the golden cup in Benjamin's sack, and the brothers are mortified, and they're terrified. And they come back to Joseph, and they say, hey, man, I don't know what's going on, but you can't kill Benjamin. My dad already lost a son, and it just, it just about brought him to his grave. If you take this son from him, he's going to die. Judah, the one who said, let's sell Joseph to the, into slavery, Judah's the one that now comes before Joseph and says, I will take Benjamin's place. That broke Joseph's heart. and He realized that there had been a change of heart. He realized that there had been a change of attitude, and he revealed himself to his brothers. He said, guys, it's me. I'm Joseph. God put me in this place so that I could deliver not just you, but everybody. God had a plan. He knew what he was doing, and I got to be a part of that. 
and he restored peace with his brothers. They went home and they told, Dad, you're never going to believe what happened. That lion that ate Joseph that we said ate Joseph, actually, it turns out, you know, Joseph's doing pretty good. He's over in Egypt. He's in charge of everything. And he wants you to come and live in Egypt with him. He's got property that he's going to give us. He's the most important man in the whole land. And so the whole, the whole family, the whole family of Jacob, the whole family of Israel moves to Egypt. At that time, that family numbered about 82 people. Jacob lived in, in uh, Egypt for 17 years, and then he died. After he died, the ten brothers got together and they said, Oh, no, we're done now. You know, Joseph's been good to us because Dad was around, but now that he's gone, I'll bet you Joseph's going to get even. And Joseph caught wind of this rumor, and, but Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Even Joseph, who lived into God's purpose for his life, kind of missed God's purpose for his life. Joseph thought it was a great thing that, that he was used by God to keep many people alive, but it was more significant than that. He kept 82 people alive that were a specific promise to a guy named Abraham that God said, I'm going to make you as numerous as the sands on the seashore. 82 people isn't as numerous as the sand on the seashore. The 400 years later, after this point where God used Joseph to rescue that family, the nation of Israel was indeed a nation as numerous as, as the sand on the seashore. You see, God had a plan. Every move that was made, God said, I can deal with that, and I have a servant who's willing to, for me to use him in this situation, willing for me to use him for my purposes, even though he has no idea what that purpose is. Paul, the apostle in the New Testament, puts it this way in Romans 8.28. We've all heard this, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Are there bad, thing, bad things that are happening in your life? I mean, are there things that we can't explain? Are there things that we don't understand? Absolutely. Bad things happen to good people. And instead of saying, saying that everything happens for a reason, we need to understand that we have free will. It's not that everything happens for a reason. It's that bad things do indeed happen because this is a sinful and fallen world. And yet, my God is the only God that's big enough to restore that, to redeem that, and to actually use that. If we had time, I would tell you about a guy who sold himself into slavery. The slavery of lust, the slavery of debt, the slavery of alcoholism. And yet, when I hit my knees and I said, God, you can have my whole life. I don't even know what to do with it, but if you can do anything with my life, then you do it. And God rescued me from that situation. And there are things that I did years ago in Vegas that I'm mortified about, that I'm terribly embarrassed about. And yet God uses that situation. It's not that everything happens for a reason. That was never God's plan for my life. Nonetheless, God restores that and redeems that. And I'm able to minister to people that a regular suit and tie pastor would never be able to reach. Because God, in His wisdom, and in His love, and in His grace, and in His mercy, He uses those bad situations when we allow Him to. And that is my prayer for you today. God, thank You so much for this morning. Just thank You for the story of Joseph. Thank You for preserving Your Word through the years. I pray that You speak it to us and draw us close to You. Let us know that You love us. And God, if there are people here that are struggling with things in their life that they don't understand, I pray that we will each have the courage to surrender that to You and say, Not my will, Yours be done. Keep us safe as we go out there and race today. Bless the kids on the track right now. We love you. We look forward to meeting again in two weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for hanging out, guys. I'll see you in two weeks.